All right, if you would please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 3. It's on page 940 of your Pew Bibles, or it's printed in your bulletin. We're going to be looking at Romans 3, verses 21 through 31. Before we do, let me remind us of what we've studied so far in the book of Romans. We've spent the last four weeks going over a lot of bad news that's leading into the good news today. In, in chapter 1, Paul began by saying he's not ashamed of the gospel, for, for it is the power of God uh, unto salvation. And, and, and Paul says that there's this new reality of walking by faith, and in doing so, this righteousness of God comes into the life of the person of faith. And, um, but then Paul begins talking about the bad news, and there's lots of bad news. He pointed out how that all of humanity... Uh, is suppressing the truth about God's existence. And no one is really living a God-honoring, God-exalting life. And, and that no one, apart from the new life that God gives us, is able to please God. No, not one, is what Paul says. And so Paul says that God is rightly angered at the world. Paul says that God's wrath is being revealed. And of, of course God is angry God up in heaven looking down on this earth, how could he be satisfied with how things are going? There's great evil and injustice. He is rightly upset. And last week we saw the whole world is accountable to God. We will all one day stand in silence before him to give him account before him. He will judge us. And so the proper response of Paul's words leading up to today is to bring us to a position of of great humility to bring us to a place where, where, we, where we cry out and say, but, but is there a solution to our problem? Today comes and we hear two relevatory words that begin our passage. The words are, but now. Today we'll see that though mankind is helpless to remedy its situation, but now God in love provides all that we need. Romans 3, 21 through 31. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus." Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that, no, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the um, works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one. He will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. 
This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If you want to know God, if you want to know his will, if you want to know his way, we must know his word. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for this revelation from heaven, for this good work of Jesus to come and to save, uh, to redeem, to propitiate by his blood that we might be accepted in your sight. We ask that you would enliven our hearts to understand this more deeply, more thorough, that we would respond with great joy and delight in worship, we pray. Amen. But now. Think of all the but nows that people long to hear. But now your oncology report shows that you are cancer-free. But now it appears that You had a wealthy great uncle. (laughs) But now the DNA evidence proves your innocence. You will be released from prison. But now corporate has authorized a 20% pay increase for everyone in your division. But now you've been accepted to Princeton. Let your mind wander for a brief moment. What are some of the but nows? Uh, that you would consider to be best to hear in your own life. Paul says to us, but now, against the backdrop of our sin and, and a helpless estate, God has good news. Some commentators point out that um, what jewelers often do when they're showing you a diamond, if you go into a jewelry store and they want to show you a diamond, they don't, they don't just hold it in their hand, what do they do? They lay that beautiful shiny diamond against the backdrop of nice shiny black uh, uh, satin um, cloth. And it's from there that the diamond shines even more brighter. Against the backdrop of our hopelessness, there is a sparkling uh, diamond of the gospel. Though we deserve the guilty verdict, we now stand before God um, and we're declared righteous and justified in his sight. Paul says that the greatest but now experience is to be justified before God with a, with a righteousness that's not our own. Look at verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been revealed. Verse 22. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And verse 24. And are justified by his grace as a gift. The righteousness that you and I need is to be accepted by God. And what we see here, it's freely available to all who believe. You know, everyone here in this room and everyone around the world longs for justification. Problem is, we seek it in, often in all the wrong places. You remember in the film Chariots of Fire? I know we're going back a ways. Some of the younger people might not be familiar with that. But one of the runners, Harold Abrams, said this. He said, I have 10 seconds to justify my existence. It's not just a gold medal that he seeks, but what? Validation, acceptance, worth, approval. Contrast that with the other runner in the Chariots of Fire, Eric Eric Liddell. He said this, When I run, I feel God's pleasure. We long for justification and live to prove ourselves acceptable. Tim Keller writes that there are plenty of parents whose children aren't just their children, but their justification. 
their validation, worth, acceptance. Their passion for their children's happiness and success is totally selfish. It's the parent's validating performance record. Or consider the man or woman who seeks justification in the marketplace, closing the deals, moving up the ladder. With each step forward, with each move upward, there is a greater sense of worth and validation and and acceptance. We long to be justified in the eyes of men, but in the end, there's only one set of eyes that really matter. A few weeks back, we saw that God will judge the secrets of our hearts, and last week we saw that the whole world will be held accountable to God. Ultimately, we need his approval. And so Paul says, but now, uh, he says, but now there is a way to get the ungettable acceptance before God. Here's what God does. God gives us Jesus' righteousness. Jesus' validating performance record becomes ours by faith. We're going to focus on three areas in our text this morning. First, we're going to look at the gift of righteousness, then the justness of righteousness, and then the effect of righteousness. Isn't it true that the best gifts that we can receive are gifts that we could not procure ourselves. Like a friend who calls and says, I got tickets to the sold-out concert. Or a, a colleague who, unbeknownst to you, writes a letter of recommendation to your boss and you get the promotion. The best gifts that, gifts that we can receive are the ones that uh, we can't procure ourselves. Now, the gospel multiplies this to the nth degree. See, we kind of expect our friends to invite us nice places, Right? <laughs> And really, we're not all that surprised that maybe one of our co-workers gives us a little attaboy to the boss, right? But what makes the gospel such a wonderful gift is that it is a gift given to the unworthy. Look at verses 22 and 23. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for, for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. First, Paul wants us to see that God's gift of righteousness is available to all. He says, uh, Paul writes, um, there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. What's Paul doing here? He's summarizing those last few chapters that we spent the last four weeks looking at. He summarizes it by saying, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. See, humanity was created for a purpose. We're made in God's image to to represent him on this earth, to display his glory into into his creation. And in in the original state that Adam and Eve were created in, this was to be a bold, audacious, soul-satisfying reality in the lives of human beings. As we display God's glory, we would be caught up in his glory. Adam and Eve were created with perfect righteousness, Perfect acceptance with God. Humanity was called to to be alive to God and shower his glory throughout creation. Let me ask you, how are we doing? Paul says, we've all sinned, past tense, and we all fall short, present tense. So we are all in need of this gift of God's righteousness. Paul also shows us that this gift of righteousness is received by faith. The righteousness of God comes to us through faith in Jesus Christ. The object of our faith 
is the man, God-man, Jesus Christ. Now, people place their faith in all kinds of things here on earth. Everybody lives by faith in something, even the atheist. Though the atheist cannot prove the non-existence of God, the atheist lives by faith that there is no God, that there is no need for a savior. Everybody places their faith in some object to make you worthy or acceptable. Scripture is clear that the righteousness that God gives you and that makes you right with him comes through faith in Jesus. It can't be achieved through our own works, our own resume. We see that in verse 21. It's a righteousness that is apart from the law. Your righteousness must simply come by faith, by faith in Jesus Christ. So these first few verses are really trying to show us that all of humanity is in need um, and that God has provided a need for all humanity through his son, Jesus Christ. Paul also shows us that this gift is a gift of God's grace. Verse 24 and are justified by his grace as a gift. Justified means that um, the the courtroom, from the bench, the judges, has um, issued a not guilty verdict that you are now accepted. Grace means that this justification comes to those who don't deserve it. And it's true, for all have sinned. God has every right to declare every single person who's lived a life um, as guilty as charged. But for those who have faith in Christ, God pronounces an unlikely verdict. He declares people justified, accepted, and approved for all eternity. Justification means that you're stamped with the approval that you need to, to, to now, instead of calling just God your creator, but now being able to call God your father. Faith in Christ makes you acceptable. It gives you access You know, I might know of President Obama. We all, I guess, know of President Obama, right? But I'm not justified to enter into his bedroom at 3 a.m. and ask for a cup of water. I'm not accepted for that. But his two daughters are. They could wake him at any moment of the evening and say, Dad, I want a cup of water. They are justified. They are approved. They are accepted to enter in. Paul tells us that the entrance into God's presence, into a relationship with him, is a gift. It's a gift of his grace. And it comes to us by faith. And we're justified by grace as a gift. But how does God's righteousness become our righteousness? I mean, what really takes place? I mean, God has righteousness that we don't have. How does it become ours? The late great theologian John Stott put it this way. He said, the cross is God's righteous way of righteousing the unrighteous. It's God's righteous way of righteousing the unrighteous. Matter just confused a few people. All right, how does God righteous us? Paul says in verse 24 and 25, we see, um, we see he says, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, to be received by faith. Here's what Paul is showing us. He's showing us that getting back on God's good side is free to us, but it's not cheap. Somebody paid the price. You become justified through the gift of redemption. Redemption is a 
rich word. It means to, it means to buy back. In the Greco-Roman world, back in Paul's day, most of the working class laborers sold themselves into indentured servanthood, into bond servanthood, into slavery. And over the course of their life, though, they would be able to save up money because they were being paid in some, to some degree. Most bond servants were able to buy their own freedom by the age of 30. And what they would do is they would pay a payment. The payment was called a ransom price. They redeemed themselves from self-employed, and, and, uh, from, from self-imposed slavery. Now, one thing that should be totally clear to us is there's no way we can pay our own price, right? There's no way that we could come up with uh, enough righteousness to earn our way or to pay our way. And so what we see here is that Christ has paid the ransom price. Remember G- these words of Jesus? For even the Son of Man, that's what Jesus called himself. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. How many? Well, to as many who look to Christ and say, there goes my Redeemer. (laughs) He is the one who has ransomed me. Christ has paid the price that I could not pay. I received that gift by faith and trust in him. Now, how did Jesus redeem us? Well, to understand that, we've we got to look at perhaps what is the most important word in, in all the English language, the most important word in, in, uh, in the world, and that word is propitiation. Do you guys use that word very much? Probably not. Um, you know, in some of the Bibles that you read, they, they actually, the, the translators will use a different word. They'll, they'll translate it with uh, a word like a, a sacrifice for sins or, um, or expiation. Like that really helps us, right? Um, expiation means to, to, to wipe away or clear away any sins. And it's certainly true that Jesus on the cross wipes away our sins. And it's true that he is a sacrifice for sins. But propitiation means to, to turn away or to satisfy God's wrath, to satisfy God's anger. Remember, God is angry with the world. He has every right to be. And, and God's anger is not like our anger. Our anger is often petty, right? Our, our anger is often anger, uh, usually it's focused at what people have done to us. Very rarely is our anger at any sort of injustice that others have experienced. But God's anger is rightly focused upon how sin has turned his good creation into chaos. And the sober reality is this. Unless God has redeemed you through Jesus Christ, you are now and you always will be subject to God's anger. You might not want to accept that. You might want to live life as if there is no God above to whom you're accountable. As you've been studying these last few weeks, God sets you free to do that. But you will one day be accountable. So, how then here does Christ redeem you? Verse 25. God the Father put forward Jesus his Son as a propitiation by his blood. God's anger towards you has been placed on a substitute. Christ on the cross has taken upon himself all of the sin in your life that has angered God. And he's taken it upon himself. And God has poured out his anger 
Instead of being on you, he's poured it out on his son by his blood. And if you trust in Christ by faith, that work has been done. God's anger has been rightly appeased. And you now are a person who has experienced Christ's perfect righteousness come into your life. The gospel is amazing. On the cross, uh, Christ takes our sin, everything that angers God. He takes it and he absorbs all the anger that is rightly ours. And then in exchange, he gives us his righteousness. He gives us his validating performance record. It's amazing. It's a diamond on shiny black cloth, isn't it? If you believe in the Redeemer, then your life has been atoned for. God is no longer angry at you. He never will be. Jesus' validating performance record is yours. You have peace with God. That's the gift of righteousness. Now for the justness of righteousness. That's a hyphenated word. The justness of righteousness. You could very easily say uh, the rightness of God's justice, right? The Greek word is actually, for righteousness and justice, it's the same root, dikaio. So um, all throughout this passage, there's dikaio in there. And it's either just, justify, or, or righteousness. We see it in there. That's a side note. Okay. Uh, the justness of God's righteousness. Here we address the questions that no doubt uh, float in people's minds. Questions like, can't God just forgive people without needing a sacrifice? Why doesn't God just wipe our record clean and just call it a day, right? Why does our forgiveness um, require that his son die in our place? Here's where we need to affirm something that really, in the end, should cause us to delight in what God is doing here. God's perfect justice and his perfect righteousness, um, excuse me, God's love and his justice belong together. They're inseparable. If there is an all-powerful God who is all-loving, then he better also be just, right? God cannot turn a blind eye to injustice. He does not wink his favorite people into heaven. Uh, he doesn't wave some magic wand of forgiveness. God would, be, would cease to be God if he, if, if, he, if he did such things. His integrity, his character would be compromised. God can never lay aside his holiness to save people. God demands that sin be punished. That's why the cross is the universal symbol of Christianity. Christ had to die because according to God, propitiation had to be made. Sin had to be punished. Our sin had to be punished. Do you see this presents quite a conundrum? If God's perfect justice must be satisfied then how is it that God's perfect love can be displayed? And if God's perfect love must be satisfied, then how can his perfect justice be displayed? God cannot do what we humans tend to do. We humans say, well, if you love somebody, just act like it never happened. You know, <laughs> just turn a blind eye. Not so, God. God loves this world and he's rightly angered at our sin. It's a conundrum that the earth does not have a viable answer for, but thankfully there resides an answer in heaven. 
God knows a way in which his perfect love and his perfect justice can be perfectly satisfied. It's the cross of Jesus. On the cross, God's perfect love and his perfect justice are perfectly satisfied. Now, some people mistakenly think that Jesus' work on the cross was what made God love us. That's not the case. God has loved his covenant people long before time began. It's because God loves us that he put forth his son. Or as A.W. Tozer wrote, the cross is not responsible for God's love. Rather, it was his love which conceived the cross as the one method by which we could be saved. Or as the Apostle John wrote in 1 John 4, verse 10, he said, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. For our closing hymn, we're going to sing, Here is Love. One of the verses ends with these words. Grace and love, like mighty rivers, poured incessant from above. And heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world in love. This is essentially what Paul is saying in verse 26. Paul says it was to show his righteousness at the present time. So that what? So that he might be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. God displays his righteousness. Or you could say God displays the integrity of his character through the cross. So that he might be just. That is, his justice is perfectly satisfied but also that he might be the justifier. That is, his, his love is perfectly satisfied. Do you see that? Paul says that the cross shows God to be just and the justifier, both at the same time. The conundrum is resolved. There is no other way. There's no other answer on earth. No human being ever would have thought of this. But God in heaven did. A way to satisfy his perfect justice and his perfect love in one fell swoop so that we can be accepted and brought into a relationship with him. There is no other way. Now for the effect of righteousness. When by faith Christ's righteousness becomes your righteousness, it has certain effects upon you. We'll look at a couple of them. The first effect is that we can no longer boast in ourselves, but rather we become what? Boasters in God, in God's grace, in what he's done for us. Verse 27. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No. But by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. You know, back in Paul's day, there was a lot of boasting going on. You know, the pagans boasted of their gods. Every large, major metropolitan area had their own god or goddess. And, and, uh, and so uh, the, the inhabitants of that city would boast about their god or goddess. And kind of a lot like, you know, we do today with our sports teams. You know, we boast about the Mets or the Yankees or, or the Tigers or the Cubs or whoever. Um, 
And the Jews boasted too, right? It wasn't just the pagans. The Jews boasted. They boasted by saying, we've got the law. We're accepted by God because he's given us his law. And we, we feel like we can pretty much do God's law. So it's through the law that we have God's acceptance and approval. And so they would boast in the law. But Paul says here that all man-centered boasting has been cut off at the knees because of the gospel. The gospel tells us that God is the worthy one. Salvation is thoroughly God's idea. The father devised the plan of redemption. The son said, yes, father, send me, I'm ready. (laughs) The the good news of this diamond that sits on this beautiful um, black uh, satin uh, cloth, is is, the beauty of it is is that it, it begins with God and it ends with God. Salvation is entirely a work of God. And if you are in Christ, guess what? God has brought that about too. Jesus said, no one can come to me unless my father enables him. Jesus said that no one um, can even see or wish to enter the kingdom of heaven unless he or she has received a a new birth from above. Uh, And if you are in Christ, well, God has sent his spirit upon you. He has given you a new heart that even allows you to think uh, about God, that even allows you to desire Christ and the righteousness he gives. So salvation is entirely God's work. Therefore, how can we boast in anything other than what God has done for us? And so our boasting means that we boast in God. And our lives are now lives that are lives of, of worship, right? Paul finally gets to that in chapter 12. You can read ahead at some point. But here's what he says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You know, worship isn't just for an hour on Sunday or an hour and a half if you're here at Grace Church. Uh, it's for all of you, for all of your days, for every waking moment. Christian, you now live for your Redeemer You now live to see his kingdom come. You now live to sacrifice, to serve his body, the church. You now live so that others can hear this great gospel message. And so the Christian life has become an entirely new reorientation of one's life around around his Savior. It's a life of worship. The second effect is that the Christian now and forever finds his or her worth in Christ. And this is important. Because we can, even after coming to faith in Christ, find our worth in all kinds of other things. <laughs> to be accepted because, well, finally we got a ring on our finger. To be accepted because we've excelled in certain areas of, of business or commerce. Uh, we've, we've gone to the right schools. There's all kinds of different ways in which Christians can, even after receiving God's acceptance, can look for it in other places. But unlike the world around us, Christians no longer need to justify their lives um, through work or home or anywhere else. Christ has become our validating performance record. The world may mock you. The world may roll its eyes at you. The world may not give you any rewards. But your worth is not tied up in how the world sees you. Your worth is tied up in how God sees you. And he sees you as fully acceptable in him. There's nothing you can add to that. There's nothing you can do to detract from that. Christ is your righteousness. 
Remember when Jesus was being transfigured on that mountain? You can read it in uh, Matthew 17. We heard God's voice from heaven. God spoke saying, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Know this, Christian. If you are in Christ, God speaks those words over you every day of your existence. Here and now and tomorrow and the day after that, the year after that, for all eternity to come. God is pleased in you as his son, as his daughter. So here's the reality then. Christians, we must do what? We must anchor our lives. We must anchor our identities upon the ever-present reality of God's ongoing grace in our lives. Often Christians do this. They, they, they go and they pick up the law. They go and they try to seek their own validating performance record apart from Christ. And I'm not saying they don't do good things, but there's times we do those things, we feel like we've got to do them in order to keep in God's good favor. In order to keep his um, acceptable, delighting eyes upon us, we must somehow show him that we're worth um, his love. Paul refutes this in the remaining verses. In verse 28, Paul clearly states that no one is justified by works of the law. No, we're justified, justified by faith in Christ alone. And yet, faith doesn't discard the law, verse 31 no, we uphold the law. That is, that is, as Christians, we say God's law is good. It's pleasing. It's a light into my path. Of course, I want to know the law, and I, and, but my motivation for, for fulfilling the law is this. I am already approved and accepted by God in his sight. His grace has come to me. Therefore, of course, I want to honor him in how I live my life. But if I fall short, his acceptance is still always 100% present with me. Why? Because it's not your acceptance that you're offering him each and every day of your life. It's Christ's acceptance continues to plead your favor in the presence of God Almighty. That's why this good news is such good news. And yet the default mode that we have as Christians isn't we wake up on a treadmill of performance. We wake up feeling like we got to do this and we got to do that. The, the, the default mode is, is to live under law, not under grace. And so I want to make one final point before we close, and that's it's a point that if we could, but, if we could but just more fully grasp what God is doing with our justification, then we will be able to rest in the grace that is already ours. What do I mean? So many people think that forgiveness and justification are really just the same thing. But you need to understand, justification is far greater than forgiveness. It includes forgiveness, but it's far greater than that. Let me put it this way. Forgiveness says, you are free to go. Justification says, you are free to come. You know, governors and, and U.S. presidents, they're able, to, they're able to pardon people out of prison, you know, and they've done that sometimes you know, to a lot of mocking. Uh, anyway, uh, <clears throat> but, but they're able to declare a prisoner who's guilty of a crime, able to declare that that person is, is forgiven, that they're, that they're pardoned. Now, 
Have you ever heard a case, though, where a governor pardons somebody and then says, uh, hey, come live with my family. Uh, come, come and go with us on our family vacation to the Virgin Islands, right? No, of course not. Why? Because forgiveness means you are free to go, not free to hang with me. Forgiveness or pardon says that your debt has been paid, so you're free to go. Justification declares that you're more than forgiven, you are accepted, and therefore you are free to come. Justification makes you acceptable. It opens the doors to heaven. Christian, let me ask you this. If God didn't want you near to him, if God didn't want you drawing near to his heart, why would he give you justification when, when forgiveness is simply all you need just to be set free? No, God gives us justification. Why? Because God's heart has always been to save sinners so that he can draw them near to him. God in Christ gives us Christ's performance record. We are accepted in his sight. Why? So that God can draw us near, not send us away. God's intentions have always been to have a people that he calls his own, that he delights in and that they delight in him. And he does that through the cross. Do you see why Paul says, but now? In a few moments, we're going to receive the Lord's Supper. Some Christians feel like they have to beat themselves up to come forward. I'm not saying don't ask for forgiveness. Maybe there's some ongoing sin in your life that you, that you want to confess your sin to God before. But we do that earlier in the service, right? Um, this meal that we celebrate signifies that you are welcome. More than that, that God has made you welcome to come, to come forward. It says the work has already been done. It says your justification is complete. The righteousness of Jesus is now your righteousness. Jesus' validating performance record is, belongs to all who by faith trust in him. And so as, when you come forward, come forward boastful, <laughs> right? Boastful not in your own merits, but boastful in the propitiating blood of Jesus, who lived the life you should have lived, died the death that you deserve, so that you can be accepted in God's sight. May we be boastful in the amazing cross of Christ, for it's the only place where God's perfect love and justice meet. Let's pray. Father, what are we to do but rejoice? We have been more than pardoned. You offered your son as a propitiation for our sins. and He has done what you sent him to do. And so, for us, we simply believe and experience that. What a great truth. May that transform us continually in these days and years ahead. For now, strengthen us by this meal which we're about to eat, we pray. Amen.